Welcome to episode 11 of the County Derry Post Political Podcast. In this episode, we speak to East Derry MLA Claire Sugden about succeeding her mentor in the constituency, the recent violence and missed opportunities before the Assembly's collapse in January 2017. Why did you get into politics? I've always been interested um, in politics, uh, Liam. Um, I don't know if it's because we almost grew up with it. Um, I was 11 when the Good Friday Agreement was signed, so it was always being talked about in the house and maybe it was just really familiar to me and you know in school um we would have you know history lessons would have had an element of the history of northern ireland and the politics of northern ireland and i always just find it really interesting and fascinating so when it came to that moment when you had to decide what you wanted to be when you grew up I'm not sure I knew what I wanted to be, but I was interested in politics. So I went to Queen's University, I got my undergrad in politics. Um, and then when I, I had graduated, I had completed that, um, I recognised that I needed to get some form of work experience. So I contacted my local uh, MLA, who at that point was David McLarty, and he was very generous to me. And he gave me a couple of hours work experience in the office, and it kind of went from there. I'm not sure I ever expected or even pursued Becoming a politician, I, I, I always, I think, um, imagined myself working behind the scenes and, you know, working on policy and just the communications around politics. Um, unfortunately, David passed away in 2014 and he left my name with the electoral office to become the MLA for East Londonderry. So um, I suppose that's kind of where it came from, really. Um, but no, I've always had an interest and as I say, it's very familiar to me and it's something I've always been interested in. How did it feel when he left your name? As you say, he left, he kind of nominated you as, as a successor, if you like. How did that feel? Mixed emotions around it, um, because if you if you recall, David McClarty was an independent himself. Um, he had left the Ulster Unionist Party um, just shortly before the 2011 election. Um, he was successfully elected. He was a wonderful man. The community you know, really got behind him after that all had happened. Um, you know, and for me, he was my mentor. You know, we talked about politics often. We talked about his job. We worked really closely together. So it was a huge privilege, honour, you know, when, when David had, um, after his passing, um, given me that role. But equally, it was it was daunting. It was scary. And, you know, I didn't have him there to, to kind of guide me through it and, and mentor me. And, you know, he's, I'm just looking at his picture on the wall now and I always think of what he would make of these last seven years as his, you know, as me as his successor. I hope I've made him proud. And, you know, I, I had to become my own person as well. But I, I hope I've kept his values insofar as I'm a representative of people and that this job is about helping those people and, and try and trying to improve things so that they can lead better and happier lives. Um, that's what my politics is about. I understand that the public may not necessarily see that when they view politics more widely, but you know every every person that you know phones this office or, or sends me a message you know via social media, I hope they they recognise that I have gone some way in trying to help them, if not you know getting them a result. And you know over the years, you know I have thousands of people on my books, and that's not an exaggeration. And you know that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, knowing that I can help them. And I think that's what David taught me. For me, my politics up until the point when I began working for him was very academic. It was very much based on theory and all of that. Whereas with him, I, I, I recognised that it truly was about helping people and you know just trying to, to give people what, quite frankly, they're entitled to, but the government doesn't provide. And um, 
just just working toward that that that's the satisfaction you get from doing this job if it wasn't about that i don't think i'd be doing it you mentioned there about working with people and helping people what would you say is your your most proud achievement in that sense i i don't think i could pick anything specifically because my biggest achievement is making people happy. I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but it can be something as small as getting someone access to a benefit, or and that's not small for them. That's actually really significant because that's, you know, that's what will help them put food on their table. That's what will, you know, uh, help them move forward in their life. Or it could be something as great as being Minister of Justice and instigating the domestic abuse uh, bill, which has now become law. You know, had I not done that, we may not have, you know, had that on the statute today. And, and, and even just raising the conversation in and around that, because prior to me becoming Minister, despite having 30,000 plus incidents of domestic abuse across Northern Ireland every year and growing, no one ever before me tackled that. So, you know, I made it, uh, it, made it my mission, if you like, that we would get, you know, a conversation in and around that. That, and that led to the piece of legislation that my successor has been able to to make into law now. So um, I think that's that's a really big, a really proud moment for me, knowing that, you know, one person, one MLA out of ninety was able to create that change, um, and not just in terms of a law, but I think starting to open up a conversation that people really resonate with. I'm really proud of that, and you know, if, if this all ended tomorrow, I think that's what I'll take away from it. You did mention there your, your time as Justice Minister and how you brought about that very, very real and very practical change. Did it frustrate you how that term really spiralled down into the RHA and how everything was fell apart in the end? Yes, very, very um, sad. Um, I think it was uh, a perfect storm of events, if we could call it, that, call it that. I don't think it was just RHI. Um, I think it was that certainly um, seemed to inflame the situation, but it was Brexit. I think it was also Mark McGuinness's passing as well. And it, it was disappointing because I don't know if anyone recalls because of everything that has happened since, but I really do feel that that government of Sinn Féin DUP and myself was the government that really had the opportunity to transform Northern Ireland. And certainly the conversations that we were having around the executive table before it all fell apart were, were, were the most positive, I understand ever and, you know civil servants used to say that their you know their jaws dropped on the floor to see how ministers work together from both parties and, and myself included and you know we had created a new approach approach in northern ireland where we were looking at outcomes rather than just each department doing their own thing and we we developed a model which will be used and you know it, it's difficult to say it's being used now because we're almost in this weird sort of limbo period where it's it's more about restoration and keeping the thing up than it is about changing things you know in, in people's day-to-day -day lives which you know is, is a huge frustration of mine all the time and still is but you know I'm deeply frustrated because I recognize the hope and the opportunity and the ability in 2016 and to see that fall to the wayside because of party politics quite frankly um, is really disappointing you know because to come back to my earlier comments for me politics is about people and improving public services for those people so when party politics gets in the way it's it's just not good enough you know the people of northern ireland suffered for for over 30 years and you know to continue to suffer because of i don't know ego and you know politics and bad leadership is just I, I really hope people start to recognise what our job is 
um, to vote for people on that basis. One of the interesting things I noticed, kind of looking into your background, you interned at the First Minister, Deputy First Minister office, and then the US Department of Health and Human Services. Could you tell me about that? What, what was that like? Is it On the face of it, it seems pretty interesting. As part of my dissertation or final year project in my undergrad, there was an opportunity to work within the Northern Ireland Assembly. So it, it wasn't the, the Office of the First Minister and Deputy First Minister. It was the Scrutiny Committee of the mm. Office and the Deputy First Minister. So um, I, I worked with um, officials who were facilitating that committee. Um, and that was really interesting. In my role as an MLA now, um, a number of the people who were work, I was working alongside um, civil servants. You know, you know they're still there, some of them, and you know I see them in Stormont. So um, it, it's you know to me Stormont is you know as someone who studies politics in particular has a has an interest and in, an in experience in, in the northern in Northern Ireland politics. Stormont is kind of the place you want to be. You know, so I was fortunate that instead of having to write a 15,000 word research paper, I was able to do a very practical kind of thing and be able to work in the assembly. And I recognise that was probably more useful to me in terms of my future than, you know, just an essay on a shelf somewhere. You know, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. And that gave me my first, I suppose, experience of, of storming in that environment and got to see it on the ground, which, you know, was key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in uh, 2000. Um, 10 I think it was over 10 years ago um, I went to Washington DC with the Washington Ireland program mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that but um, it's a it's an all Ireland uh, I don't want to say cross community because, but it is you know where it takes about 30 students from north and south in fact even east and west if you have a connection on the island of Ireland but you may maybe study in Liverpool University for example you can apply for the program and it uh, takes us all to uh, Washington DC for a summer and we stay with some real families host families um, over there and we have an internship and mine was with the Department of Health and Human Services yeah to, to be honest probably the least interesting part of it was the was the internship and the most interesting part was the opportunity to meet with young people from across the island of Ireland and understand their experiences, their stories. And, you know, to me, that's how you reconcile. You bring yourself and who you are and you don't shy away from that. And equally, others need to do the same. And then you listen and you connect. And, you know, it's a great example of, of trying to do something. You know, I always I would always maintain that one of the, the things that the, the Good Friday Agreement didn't do was properly reconcile the people of Northern Ireland. So, and, you know, we're moving towards a position where people nearly want us to be neutral, but I don't believe we should be. I think each of us should be who we are, whether that's a unionist, a nationalist, or, you know, a man or a woman or anything. And we should embrace that and respect it of one another. And I think that's how you genuinely move to a good place in Northern Ireland. And the Washington Ireland programme was an example of... Um, of how we can do that. Um, obviously, we can't take all of Northern Ireland to, to America, but I think just having those conversations, those raw, real conversations, you know, where you're in a safe space to not be judged, you know, not to be criticised because, you know, that's just what you know and that's just up your, your upbringing. It's a real opportunity to learn from one another and it was the best experience of my life. I stayed with a lady over there called Maureen who was my host mum and she's, we're, we're still very close. Eight weeks over the summer she and I have become, you know, lifelong 
I'd say more than friends, she's family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she attended my wedding there a couple of years ago. You know, I go to the States regularly to see her and she comes over here. So I look for opportunities like that, not just the Washington Ireland program. You know, I, I think it's I think it's a really good thing that young people in particular get out and see the world, but come back and bring that experience and knowledge and, and apply it, you know, in, in your lives moving forward. It's, um, we can, we can, Northern Ireland sometimes I think um, lives in its own bubble. And you know you only need to know that when you travel across to London, when we can do that again, and you see how global you know even Heathrow Airport is. And I think we just need to get a bit of self-awareness to recognise that yes, we are an important little corner of the world, but you know we are part of of the globe, we are part of the world, and there's so much more interest and difference out there that really can enrich our lives. Just go out and see it and come back and tell the story. How do we recreate that kind of safe space back yeah. home where, as you say, you can't transport the entire place out there? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you actually say that because um, yesterday I visited Limavady High School in St Mary's um, in Limavady and they are at the beginning of a really exciting project where they are going to be the first shared education campus in Northern Ireland. I suppose integrated and shared education in Northern Ireland can be quite controversial, but you know, just listening to their um, experience, you know, and, and they just haven't, you know, they haven't decided to do this overnight. This has been something that they have been um, advocating and, and facilitating since the 80s. It's now culminated where they're going to have a, a physical campus where kids are already, you know, they've got the two separate schools that, you know, are, are beside one another. But walking into the school yesterday, um, what was really striking to me was the conversations that the young people were, were, were saying, you know, on the video that they showed me. And they says, you know, yeah, it's no biggie. <laughs> you know, so what, what they've managed to achieve is that they've grown up with it and they've learned from it that it actually is no big deal. And, you know, it is sad in Northern Ireland that, you know, children are born, you know, they're segregated and then if they don't attend an integrated school or, or a shared campus facility, that happens in, in further and higher education when they go to university. We shouldn't be starting that late. And you know the other wonderful thing about it is it's not just about the young people, you know, they're important because they're our future. But there's an opportunity in things like shared education and integrated education to de to desensitize the adults, if you like. Because in fairness, you know, they grew up in a very segregated society. And, you know, I, I think it's difficult for, for a whole host of reasons to try and to try and break that down. But I think through their kids and through, you know, seeing how they can, you know, move forward together. And, you know, I, I would like to get to a point where when you're applying for schools, you're not applying for it because of one community or another. And, and whether, you know, you're just going to school and, you know, you don't know who around you, you know what they are or where they come from or their background and you know and it is programs as well like the washington ireland program or erasmus or anything like that because you know I, it just doesn't occur to me and i like I, i'm 34 and you know I've, i was raised and lived in Korean all my life and i now live out in castle rock and it just would never occur to me to think about anyone's background or religion anyway but maybe there are other people in northern ireland where that is almost you know a second nature thing in a way that not asking a second nature to me. I think we just need to start having conversations with one another and finding opportunities, whether it's through education or even community. And, you know, in fairness, there are many community and voluntary groups across Northern Ireland. It's a really strong sector where they are doing those works. And, you know, um, you and I both know that the media don't tend to focus on those positive things. And, you know, there's an awful lot of conversation and negativity around young people at the minute. And we need to find the balance to that because 
that's a very very small minority and it isn't it doesn't characterize all young people but it is still an issue and we need to address it for those that you know that are behaving in that way over the last while in Korea, there's been a lot of violence and gang-related violence and paramilitary kind of things and mm. with the more recent protests and there does seem to be a kind of upsurge in that this was how do you try and calm the situation as a local mla i'm trying to understand where the root cause of those issues are you know i i watched a lot of the the behavior unfold via social media like i suppose everyone did and it's very sad for me to see that it does seem to be young people um young people um I'm not sure would be fully informed on the wider issues that people are suggesting that this is what this is all about but they are getting caught in the crossfire in that they're being exploited by potentially more sinister elements within the community and when I was Minister of Justice I did an awful lot of work in this area and I, I developed the paramilitaries action plan which sought to tackle paramilitarism within communities and paramilitarism is a bit of a, a misnomer in terms of what it actually represents because paramilitaries in Northern Ireland now could be better described as criminals and their activities are criminal behaviour and you know to, to almost have a badge claiming something else is, is not helpful in actually tackling what they are. They claim to stand up for communities but really they're keeping those communities down and I, I want people in those communities to know that because I, I don't want them to misunderstand that these people are doing anything for them because they're not. They're actually doing the opposite. And, you know, that's not just Korean or, or, or any or Limavari or any other area of my constituency. That's rife across uh, Northern Ireland. And I think we just need to um, keep calling it out for, for what it is. But equally, government has a, a big part to play there. Um, you know, the paramilitaries action plan was never going to be successful. Um, in addressing those particular problems if we didn't have a functioning government and a program of work which would actually build those communities up so that the alternative which is this type of behavior that we're seeing wouldn't be an option you know kids will look for opportunities and if those opportunities are not there and someone else is providing them for them in the form of paramilitarism that might be a better option for them like where did we get to you know with with government policy and you know government's work that people think that that's you know that that's the best that they can achieve you know so i think what we really need to do is invest in the communities in particular it's no coincidence that the the unrest is happening in socially deprived areas and we need to get back to actually building them up again and not allowing paramilitary uh, paramilitaries to manipulate them because i think that's what's happening there have been bits and pieces written at the time that you'd considered quitting politics altogether how close were you to doing that Politics for me is a bit of a vocation um, in, insofar as I really do put my heart into it. You know, I, I think um, doing this job is on the basis that I can help people and I ha can hopefully create change so that the issues that they come to me about are hopefully not issues in the future. But then when we, we see situations where party politics gets in the way and the old issues uh, raise their ugly head from the past, you know, it almost diminishes that hope for the future and it almost diminishes the opportunities in, in trying to do what I do this job for. I I do an occasion and you know 2017 was probably you know the, the worst um, of that because I really did think we'd move we'd moved on. It, it did make me reconsider is it something that I wanted to, to continue and, and you know I've had those feelings even since then because you, you know we had three years of three horrific years where you know 
politicians of particular parties were not being responsible for the people who voted for them and you know to me that's so disrespectful it's disrespectful not only to those individuals who voted for them but it's it's disrespectful to the the institutions to to northern ireland it's disrespectful to the past and what we've moved on from you know that we've achieved so much for politicians just because of their own interests to to, to not take leadership and responsibility i um it can't be disappointing because as i say the only reason i continue to do this job and get myself out of bed in the morning is to is to help people and try and as I say, progress things for them. And if, if I can't do that, then it makes me consider, is this job you know, worth it? But when you get hundreds of messages, as I have in the last couple of days, and you're helping people and people are very kind and coming back and, you know, and, and I don't expect any of that, you know, I, I, it's my job to help them. Most people are really, really kind and generous and that's what I focus on and that's what keeps me going. So. How important a role do the independents play in, in politics in Northern Ireland? I mean... It's obviously very entrenched, but how important are the, those individual voices? I think more and more um, independent voices are really important. Um, you know, often people would criticise me and say, well, what can one out of 90 MLAs do? But I think, you know, in my seven years being an MLA, I have demonstrated that I have had an impact, you know, not least the domestic abuse legislation. And indeed, all the legislation that the Minister of Justice is bringing forward, I recognise as me have you know, started that, that I had an impact in that respect. But I, I think more generally, independents don't have political party lines to two. So there's almost something more honest about independence. And, you know, if we needed anything more at the minute in politics, it's honesty. I don't have to refer my opinion to someone. I can just kind of have a very considered approach myself and, and talk to it. And I, you know, if anyone would pay compliment to me, they would say that we appreciate your honesty and candor. And, you know, I, I think then that sets a tone or it sets a bar for, for other politicians, even if they are members of political parties. So, um, you know, if people want something honest to be said, then I'll say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it has, and I hope it has gained me respect. And then whenever I do say things about other things that I'm listened to. So yeah, we, we need more independence just to balance the nonsense we sometimes hear. Funny, this is just my own curiosity. What's your relationship like with Naomi Long as, as your successor, I suppose? Great. I'm a great believer that as long as the job's done, I don't care who takes the credit for or, or does the job. And, you know, Naomi and I, we always had a good relationship, actually. And I, I think she's a really great politician. Um, I think, you know, she she does a very difficult job. And obviously, I understand what that job is more than anyone else. And, you know, she's very articulate and she stands up for what she believes in, despite some of the vitriol that does get thrown her way. I'm a big advocate for kind of just you know, supporting women in particular in those roles because I do think um, they do get unfairly criticised and challenged for the completely wrong reasons. You mentioned female voices and strong female voices have always been important in Northern Ireland politics, going back to the time of the Women's Coalition. There's three, obviously, of the current party leaders are women. How would you kind of assess the current position of women in politics here? The Assembly needs to be representative of the people of Northern Ireland. So if 50% of the population are women, then we need to have 50% of MLAs uh, as women as well. But that's it's not just even a gender issue. I talk to it in terms of even an ethnic minority issue. The Northern Ireland Assembly needs to do better in being more representative of the people of Northern Ireland because it is a representative, a representative institution. 
so you know I would always encourage opportunities where we can have more uh, women at the table or, or more groups from community or from community minorities uh, at the table as well because then truly you're you're re- representing all voices the Northern Ireland Assembly actually in fairness has come great strides in, in terms of that representation too we, we have more female MLAs than we ever have but we need more and you know I would really encourage any woman or particularly young woman who you know who's thinking about this to consider getting involved and having a voice in Northern Ireland our system is a party one so it probably means them joining a political party but you know you know be be the change that you want to see I know some people say about joining political parties and as an independent you know it's a hard thing for me to say but you know get in there and and change what you don't like about it I think we need more I think we need you know voices at the table and I think we need courage and and leadership you know not least from those here here there I don't I I don't know because I don't have any direct experience of it but I I can imagine being the leader of a party whether you're a man or a woman is probably the most difficult part I think it's easier to be a minister actually when you're a minister you everybody kind of has to take your lead whereas when you're in a political party you know it's challenging from what I understand to try and keep everybody happy and your constituency too obviously there's there's three female MLAs you've got yourself Cara Hunter and Keeve Archibald so within the local area here it's it's quite strong it, it is and both Cara and Cara's relatively new MLA but she's really impressive I've, I've I've reached out to her a couple of times but I've just you know watched her performances and I I, I think she's and it's difficult too because she's young I, I I look at Cara's beginnings and, and almost compare them with mine because I became an MLA when I was 27 and Cara's 25 26 so she has similar um kind of experiences to me and you know she she's a great speaker she seems to be in tune with the issues um and I'm impressed and I'm really pleased to see her doing well and I'm glad that the SDLP chose a female as a successor because why not you know when you know she's she, she's a good candidate and, and Kiva too she does an awful lot of good work um Kiva and I sit on the economy committee together she would be our chairperson I think she's she brings forward a lot of really interesting points and issues and we do we, we work you know really really closely together and you know I do try to uh, I try to build relationships with all politicians from all parties because to me that's the job and I do respect um, all politicians from all parties because they're there because of the mandate that they were given so to disrespect an MLA to me is disrespecting the thousands of people that voted for them and you know that's just not all I think it's important and I think in a way that where my reputation kind of comes from it was why I became Minister of Justice there were other options but they chose me because I demonstrated over the two years of being an MLA before becoming Minister that actually people can work with me and you know my politics is about getting things done and you know just you know just just doing what we can for for the people of Northern Ireland and Mark McGuinness was happy with that at the time and as was Arlene Foster. As a, as a final point then just to kind of wrap things up is there anything in particular you're hoping to see done in the remainder of the assembly term? It's tough because I always think it was going to be difficult doing anything practical in the time that we had left in the mandate. The assembly was restored three years into a five-year mandate and any mandate, you know, the first year is about planning and, you know, deciding upon a set of aims and objectives, you know, in, in respect to policy and then implementing them throughout the remaining four years. So, to do that in two years was never going to be achievable and realistic. If anything, the new decade, new approach document is a de facto programme for government. Truly and controversially, I think it was a, a prop 
to kind of prove what three years of nothingness was all about and very little of it has been implemented which is really disappointing it's hard to kind of hope for anything sweeping and new in the time that we have left i hope i hope relationships are are improved so that going into an election next year and you know voting for a new assembly we can get back to where i've described we were in 2016 and it is about transforming northern ireland you know up to that point i think we were in a state of transition because we were a post-conflict society i would like you know i i i want to get back to those good relationships and that focus on trying to deliver services and improve them if you're talking to me specifically about what's happening in the assembly well i'm actually a co-sponsor of a climate change bill you know so i hope that gets through because that's quite significant it's um it's the first of its kind in northern ireland the agriculture minister brought his in too so i'm hopeful that we'll get well ours on the statue because ours is a bit more ambitious than his i'm also working on a private members piece of legislation now realistically it won't happen before the end of this mandate but i'm exploring the kind of ideas around it so that maybe if i'm fortunate enough to get elected in the next um uh, assembly I could maybe take it forward then and that's in relation to trauma trauma in a way is a fact of life you know whether that's a, you know you're involved in a car accident or you know maybe you have tra- a traumatic birth experience but you know most namely in Northern Ireland our trauma comes from the conflict and you know we have this generation probably in their 60s and 70s now 50s as well who were traumatized by conflict in Northern Ireland and we've never dealt with that and you know I think we're starting to see that manifest into mental health and other issues um you know it's no coincidence that um you know we have some of the most significant and prevalent mental health issues across these islands I would like to maybe develop a piece of policy or legislation which number one stops people being re-traumatized because I don't think that's good for anyone not least the person who's suffering I think it really just opens up that conversation about how we address the conflict I would like to do that. Um, maybe it's not the time to do it now, and just because of recent unrest and you know the, the challenges are still ongoing with Brexit. But we just need to do better for 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 everyone in Northern Ireland. If that means just trying to rebuild relationships again and getting back to a better place now, so that we can then move forward after the next election, maybe that's where we need to focus. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, give it a share on social media or subscribe via your podcast player of choice. If you have any questions for future guests, get in touch via email on editor at dairypost.com or contact us via our social media channels.